James chapter 1. We're going to look at three verses today. James chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. Jesus said um, during his time here in his earthly ministry, he said, the poor you will have with you always. And in spite of what man would like to believe in this idea that we could create a, a utopia in which no one would be poor, no one would be sick, and we'd all be equal and have all equal things, and um, that is not reality. That's not the world we live in. And Jesus let us know that the poor will always be with us. And in James, James, when he writes his letter, we're going to look at three verses today in which James addresses the reality of the poor among us. And we're going to see that James is going to address this again later on in his letter. Um, and so, James chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11 will be our text today. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade in his pursuits. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your eternal word, your word that is more powerful than a two-edged sword that pierces to the very division of bone and marrow, exposing our hearts laying us open before you. Father, we ask that you would expose to us the condition of our heart and that you would take your word and heal our hearts and restore us and strengthen us and equip us that we would be transformed, even conformed to the very image of Christ our Lord to be a witness to you in this world, bold and bright for all to see, to lead men out of the darkness and into your glorious light. We, Father, we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you belong to Jesus, and I trust and pray you do, Whoever you are, your glory is in Christ. We're going to look at this very short section of Scripture that James wrote in his letter here addressing the realities of the poor and the rich, but really how each of those are to handle and view their realities. So this is why I say if you belong to Jesus, whoever you are, whether you're rich, poor, young, old, somewhere in between, your glory is in Christ. It's not in who you are. 
It's not in what you have. It's not in how pleasant your circumstances are or how unpleasant they may be. In verses 9 through 11, James addresses two different classes of people, the lowly brother and the rich. Both are given the exhortation to wisely consider their station in life in relation to their faith in God. James writes in the, preaching, in the preceding verses that if a man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach to those who ask him. So there's a link here. The, the lowly brother and the rich need God's wisdom in how they are going to live out, walk out their faith in the reality of the station they are in life, the status they have, the position they have. Therefore, since God will give wisdom to those who ask, and he'll give it liberally and without reproach, we need to see our need for God's wisdom and God's grace to actually obey what Scripture is exhorting us to do here. We're called to glory in God in whatever station we find ourselves in life. James addresses both the lowly brother and the rich, but no one is left out here. No one is left out in this exhortation that James is giving here in his letter. So let's look at verse 9. Let the, lowly brother, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Wisdom equips the lowly brother. What does it equip him to do? It equips him to glory in his exaltation. The lowly brother refers to one of literally what this means, what this describes is a person of low status, undistinguished, common, of no account, in other words, they're not famous. They, they're of no account. They're just nameless, faceless, humble, poor. That's what that word lowly is describing. These are adjectives that we can use to describe one called a lowly brother. And contrast the lowly brother with those James calls rich. The brother who is lowly and poor is held in high regard by God. So this is one of the points of Jesus when he says, the poor you will have with you always. And he's, in the context in which he speaks those, makes that statement, is that you will always have the poor to minister to. And God expects us to minister to the poor. Uh, it's why we started Shepherd's Heart I mean, decades ago. It's why Loretta and Richard with us here today. Good to have you guys with us today. It's why Loretta and Richard are still working hard at Shepherd's Heart. It's why David Brooks still works hard at Shepherd's Heart. It's why a lot of people still, it's why we pray for Shepherd's Heart every week. Because the poor will always be with us, and Jesus expect, expects us to minister to the poor. And so, the lowly brother, this, this humble, poor, undistinguished brother of low status, 
has, is held in high regard by God. He holds an exalted position, if you will, despite his lowly status in this world. Remember, God delights to take those things who are, and those people and those things who are considered foolish and weak and bring to nothing the wise and the mighty of this world. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to those members of the church of Corinth. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We also see a reference to the lowly in Mary's inspired hymn of praise, her prayer we call the Magnificat. Recorded in Luke's gospel, Mary declares these words, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, Luke 1.52. The lowly who Mary references in her prayer, is the same as the lowly brother that James addresses in his letter. James encourages the lowly brother to look past his low station on this earth to the glory of his future exaltation in Christ. There were no preachers around writing books about having your best life yet. For many in James' day, their only hope of glory was in that day when they would experience the exaltation that would come when they were relieved of their station in this life. Remember, we talked about this uh, on Wednesday as we're going through the timeline. In the city of Rome, which in the, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, in the days that James would have written this letter, the city of Rome had about 2 million people living in it in that day, 2,000 years ago. And half of those 2 million, meaning 1 million, were slaves. The other quarter of that, the other, another half million were called freedmen, people who had been slaves, and through very unsavory means, whatever justified, whatever means justified the end, gained their freedom. And so very few people were actually free citizens. The vast majority of people lived lives that you and I could not imagine today. They lived in a world that was cruel beyond our imagination. It was just commonplace the world they lived in. And so when, when James writes about the lowly brother glorying in his exaltation, there is an understanding 
that that lowly brother may not experience that exaltation until one day he's delivered from this life. Now, that, I'm not saying that was every case, but I'm saying the reality of life in that day said that was generally the case for the poor. And this is why the gospel was so appealing to them. This is why the hope in Christ meant so much to them. It's why they would go to their death with a song coming out of their mouth and smiles on their lips. And the pagans could not imagine why these people were so pleasant and so joyful going to their death. It's because for many of them, they realized that this was when they would experience the glory of their exaltation because they would finally be relieved of this body of death. Because they believed the hope of the gospel, the hope and the promise in Jesus Christ. So James encourages the lowly brother to look past his low station to the future exaltation in Christ. This is true for every one of us. We can all find ourselves in less than desirable situations and circumstances that are beyond our control, that are beyond our own ability to change. Even when we cannot change our outward circumstance, we can choose to walk by faith and not by sight, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And whatever conditions we experience in this world and in these bodies, they are temporary in relation to the eternal promise that's given to us in Christ. And the exaltation we will all experience one day when this immortality puts on, or this mortality puts on immortality, and this corruption puts on incorruption. So as wisdom equips the lowly brother, wisdom also warns the rich. Verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in, ex in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. So we have exaltation and we have humiliation here. The exaltation of the lowly and the humiliation of the rich. And Paul, I mean, James writes that both are to glory. So the rich is the glory in his humiliation. Why? Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. In the days that James is writing this letter, the poor were especially vulnerable and often dependent upon those with much greater means. The poor were not valued. The one outpost in this world of darkness was actually Judaism. James is writing, remember, to the 12 tribes of the diaspora. And so the, because the Jews had the scripture, because the Jews had 
the Word of God, they were a people who valued morality, who valued compassion. They were commanded. We have scriptures like Isaiah 58, where God says, this is the fast that I've chosen, that you break the bonds of the poor, that you break the bonds of the oppressed, that you basically minister to those less fortunate and vulnerable, that you have compassion, that you have mercy toward those who are the most vulnerable and the most dependent upon others. This was the poor of that day. And so unlike the poor, the rich could more readily provide for themselves without depending upon the whims of others. The rich had much more wealth and they had means that the lowly brother did not have. The rich may seem powerful now, but God will bring them low in the end unless they humble themselves now. Thus the exhortation, let the rich glory in his humiliation. James will devote a whole section at the end of his letter to warn the rich of the judgment they will face if they do not humble themselves and repent before the Lord. Here in these early verses of his letter, James is specifically addressing the rich. Again, he compares the lowly brother with his, in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Why would the rich brother glory in his humiliation? Well, the, the scripture gives us the answer because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. He will come to know very shortly as his life fades that the riches he trusts in to satisfy him can never save him. Verse 11, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it, the flowers the flower fails and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. He will fade away in his pursuits. This informs us that we need to be considering our own pursuits. You must consider what you are pursuing. The rich man, like the grass, will fade away in his pursuits, James writes. The rich man will fade away because he follows his own pursuits that are temporal or temporary instead of pursuing the eternal ways of the Lord. Our temporal pursuits outside of Christ will fade away like the grass scorched by the hot, dry wind. There was a hot, dry wind. There is a hot, dry wind that blows in the Middle East. And this is what James is referring to. And the, and the readers of this letter would understand exactly what James is referring to. That time of year when that wind would blow across that desert. And it would scorch everything it touched. And James says the rich are like that flower, like that grass touched by that hot, dry, scorching wind, and it just withers and it fades away. It's not 
It's not being rich in itself. There's nothing wrong with riches. There's nothing wrong with having riches as long as riches don't have you. So it's not being rich in itself. It's the idolatry of the rich man's own pursuit that James is warning of here. The poor man can also follow his own idolatrous pursuits as much as a rich man. You do realize that, right? The poor don't get a pass just because they're poor. They can be just as idolatrous, just as greedy, just as um, rejecting of God as a rich man can. The rich man, however, has received greater opportunity from God than the poor man. The rich man has more opportunity to choose his pursuits, for he approaches them from a position of abundance, whereas the poor man, on the other hand, does not have the same luxury of choice. His choices come from an abundance of lack, and those choices are different than the choices of the rich man, who makes his from, a, from an abundance of provision. The scripture is very clear concerning the true condition of both the lowly brother and the rich. Even though at birth their stations in life may be very different, their spiritual condition is not. Both are totally depraved. Both are born in sin and death until they are born again. Their outward conditions may differ, but inwardly, apart from Christ, they are both totally depraved, and in need of a Savior. So James is not picking on rich people here and saying they're more sinful than poor people. He's warning them, saying, you have more temptation because of your riches to let your riches take hold of you instead of holding those riches in their proper place, holding your life in its proper place and understanding the station that God has given you in life for his glory and for his purpose. So we, we don't prefer rich people over poor people. We're going to see this in this letter also. We also don't prefer, prefer poor people over rich people. We don't give someone a pass because they're rich or because they're poor. We, we don't prefer either one, rich or poor. We are to consider both equally, the Bible says. Under the law of Moses, the Old Testament is very clear. Listen, if something happens to someone, you don't give them a pass because they're poor or because they're rich. You apply justice equally. And this is what James is, we're going to see this later on in his letter. Don't give the rich man the preferred spot if the poor man's already there. There is, however, we treat and we consider both equally, but there is a principle in Scripture that teaches, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Hear the words of Jesus in the parable of the faithful servant. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. 
The warning to the rich that James communicates in his letter is given because James understood that ultimately it is God who gives men the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Consequently, it is God that will ultimately hold men accountable for what has been committed to them or entrusted to them, both rich and poor, for God graciously gives to all. It's not that the poor don't have anything. They just have different things. God gives to all graciously, and all will be held accountable for what God has given to them, whether it's much or whether it's little. The warning to the rich here in James chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 is a warning to those who have fallen into the illusion of self-sufficiency, the idolatry of self-glorification, and the ill-advised pursuit of self-exaltation. What comes before a fall? The Bible says pride does. These are reasons the rich man, following his own pursuits and rejection of God, is warned that he, with his pursuits, will fade away. Without Christ, even with all of his riches, he has nothing. With Christ, even in his humiliation, he can do all things. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, that is, to be poor. And I know how to abound, that is, to be rich. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In short, Paul knew as poor how to glory in his exaltation, and he also knew as rich how to glory in his humiliation. For he learned in whatever state he was to be content. He learned that he can do all things, not in his own power, but through Christ who strengthens him. And so can you. In short, Paul knew how to be content, not apathetic, not lazy, not entitled, but content. Recognizing his true position, apart from Christ, the rich brother will glory in his humiliation. When we realize that we have nothing, we are nothing apart from Christ, whatever state we find ourselves, we can glory in Christ. We can rejoice. We can be thankful. In his humiliation, the rich man understands that God alone has given him the power to get wealth. And even through his diligent work, and that he is to walk humbly before his God, he understands in wisdom that his true glory is in Christ, not in his riches. So here is what James is saying to both the lowly and the rich. You are in God's hands. 
And this is what we need to realize. We are in God's hands. We're all in his hands. In faith, each one is to see himself in the hands of Almighty God. We are all in his hands. And those who belong to Jesus, no matter their status, no matter their station in life, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. We are called to be the bondservants of Christ. That word bondservant, doulos, means slave. We don't like to use that word. It's politically incorrect. People don't like it. It triggers people when you say the word slave. But that is exactly what the Bible calls us. We are called slaves of Christ. And Paul and James wore the moniker proudly. The brother of Jesus who once rejected him as the Messiah now says, he is my Lord, he is my Christ, he is my Messiah, I am his slave. James, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just James, it's not just Paul, but we all are called to be the slaves of Jesus Christ. Both the lowly brother and the rich glory in God as they respectively glory in their exaltation or in their humiliation. And if you belong to Jesus, you are called to be the slave of Christ who glories, who glories in whatever station, in whatever circumstance you find yourself. Because you are in his hand. And you have not accidentally found yourself anywhere. You're not accidentally poor. You're not accidentally rich. You're not accidentally anything. You're providentially here today. You're providentially born in the 21st century. You're providentially living in this community. You're providentially drop into the fight, the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare you find yourself in right now, whether you realize it or not. It's not accidental at all. It's providential. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose because you are in his hands. When James wrote this letter, the church was not unfamiliar with persecution. Each believer, in whatever position he was in, had to be willing, figuratively or literally, to lay down his life and die daily for Christ and for his glory. The great equalizer, we, we want to believe it's money, but it's not money. The great equalizer is not money, it's time. All the communists want an equal distribution of wealth. Well, guess what? God gave every human being every day of his life an equal distribution of time. Every one of us have been given 24 hours in a day. Laying down your life can be as simple as laying down your time spent on foolish pursuits. God is not against rest and recreation. He is against foolish, sinful pursuits that waste the time he has granted you in his grace. Many in the world believe if there was an equal distribution of wealth, the human condition could be vastly improved, maybe even made perfect. 
utopian, but that's false. And we know it's false because God has already given to each and every person an equal distribution of the most valuable thing, which is time. Let me ask you this question. At the end of your life, when you're facing death, staring death in the face, if someone offered you a million dollars or another month, which one would you take? The million dollars would mean nothing to you, but the month would be priceless. We know it's false to believe that if everyone just had enough money, everything would be okay. We know it's false because God has already given everyone an equal amount of time every day. And every person, rich or poor, has 24 hours each day and all the money in the world cannot buy you one additional second to that 24 hours. We can see what people choose to do with their equal allotment of daily time. And we can see that what they choose to do with it does determine in large part the condition of their life. We see this is true in the poorest of people and we see it in the richest of people. A person can invest or squander the 24 hours each day and, re and reap the consequential harvest of their life or in their life. I bring this up because today is Father's Day. Men, what you do with your equal allotment of God-given time each day matters. It matters to you. It matters to your family. It matters to the culture around you. Most importantly, it matters to God who gave you the time you possess. We have a crisis of fatherlessness in our nation because men are choosing to squander their God-given time on their own foolish and sinful pursuits. We see the proof all day, every day on social media with endless video streams of men acting like little boys and squandering their lives in their own wicked and wasteful pursuits. And then you have others who find themselves spending too, too much time entertained by these sinful men in their wasteful pursuits. I don't like to generally read statistics, but I, I'm going to read you some statistics. Almost a quarter of U.S. children under the age of 18 live with one parent and no other adults. That's 23%. More than three times the share of children around the world who do so. The study, this study, from the Pew Research Center in 2019, a pretty recent study, this study, which analyzed how, people, how people's living arrangements differ by religion, also found that U.S. children from Christian and religiously unaffiliated families are about equally likely to live in this type of arrangement. Let me translate that for you. People who are professing Christians, their children are just as likely to live in a single-parent home as children of parent who doesn't profess to be Christian. 
To me, when I read that, what that tells me is there's something wrong with the church. You say, well, all those people professing to be Christians, obviously they're not really Christians. Well, they're professing for some reason. There's some reason that they are professing to be Christian, whether they are regenerate or not. Let's take them at their profession and let's say, how can we change that? Because based on the way God has commanded his people to raise up children and to conduct themselves in families, that should not be the case. In comparison, how many children in America live in a single-parent home? 23% of children under 18 live in a single-parent home. By comparison, in China, only 3% of children live in a single-parent home. In Nigeria, only 4% of children live in a single-parent home. In India, only 5% of children live in a single-parent home. It, it doesn't have anything to do with wealth, money. We live in the wealthiest nation on earth with abundance all around us. It's not because we don't have abundance. It's not because there's not enough food. It's not because there's not enough opportunity. It's not an out there problem. It's an in here problem. There's something wrong in here. That will allow 80% of single family homes are, are, are homes where there is no man. So you got 100 homes with no with only a single parent, 80 of those homes have no man in them. 80% of the single family homes don't have a man there. That's not that mom's fault. It's that man's fault. And the church should be helping families navigate this and understand this. Sometimes there are irreparable things here taking place. But here's where the church has to come and wrap around and empower fathers, challenge fathers to grow up and fulfill your responsibility. One in four too many. I could give you all the statistics that tell you all the horrible things that will happen statistically to children who grow up in, in, in those homes like that. But here again, I want to draw your attention to the church. This is why we need to make sure that those children and those single parents are connected to a, to a community of believers who are connected to a church who are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that as the church, we can say to that single mom raising her children, here's the good news, mom. God promises to be the, fatherless, the father to the fatherless. He promises to be the husband to the husbandless. 
the lowly brother that James writes about, many of those lowly brothers that we deal with every day are lowly brothers, broken, because they didn't have a father. And that's not an excuse for sin. And that's not an excuse for bad behavior. And here's where the church needs to step in and make sure that we're not enabling people to remain in their sin and their bad behavior because they've had a rough go in life. This is where the Bible says you don't prefer the poor over the rich and you don't prefer the rich over the poor. You treat them both equally. If there's sin, then deal with the sin. It doesn't matter what their social condition is. Deal with the sin because if you deal with the sin, they then do have an opportunity to come up out of that. And here's where the church needs to be loud and clear and bold in its ministry to the poor. Not feeling sorry for them because they're poor, but holding them accountable to what they can be accountable for. Holding them responsible for what they need to be and should be rightly responsible for. Because unless we do that, we're just going to keep enabling and keep people in their sense of entitlement. And we can't do that. And this is why James brings this warning. An encouragement to the lowly brother, a warning to the rich. But the point is, we are all in his hands and we all must learn to glory in Christ. And not let our station in life, not let our lowliness or our abundance be a reason for our sinfulness. So men, your life matters. Whether you're a father or not, your life is a witness to others. What you do with your God-allotted time matters each day. You only have 24 hours. Use it wisely. Make it count. Make it joyful. God has created us to live in his joy. He says that his joy is our strength, and we must not forget that, and our joy is not dependent upon our circumstance. All of us must see ourselves and our futures in his hands. By faith, without doubting, we are called to ask for needed wisdom and to be ready to glory in our exaltation or in our humiliation with joy. And that glory and that joy is possible only only by His grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let us all stand. I want to wish all of you fathers a happy Father's Day. I want to charge all of us. In particular, I want to charge men... You know, it's hard to have uh, a conversation or a discussion about rich or poor today without it turning into this. Uh, we're, we live in such a divided society, and, and there are segments of our culture who are pitting side against side, rich against poor, because the enemy knows that when a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. 
And the point of James writing this was not to bring division in the church. It was to bring healing and unity in the church. The point of him writing this was to say that Christians are held to a different standard. Christians are not to look at rich or poor or the divides in a culture the same way the world does. Christians are to see things differently. Christians are to live differently. Christians are to do things differently. And so rich Christians, poor Christians, it doesn't matter. Their glory is not in their riches. Their glory is not, has nothing to do with their social status. Their glory is in Christ. And we are called to be one body under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to go out with a unified message of hope to a world that is almost, it seems, irreconcilably divided. And in, in fact, it is irreconcilably divided outside of Christ. The only healing that will ever come will come in Christ, for Christ, by Christ, through Christ. And we carry the message of that healing. We carry in us, in our very beings, and through our words, and through our actions, we carry that message of hope and good news. And we are charged to carry it to the world, to the poorest, to the richest, and everything in between, to every creature, make known this gospel. So church, that is our charge. That is our commission. Let us do it with joy. Let us do it with glory, with the glory of God in our mind and in our purpose. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks. Praise God from the Blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day.